The very people that called themselves God's chosen people hung him on a cross. But the very thing that they reject is waiting to redeem them. So Jesus could have easily rejected the cross and turned, rejected us, and said, hey, you know what? That's cool. You don't want me? I'm not going to hang around. But he's always hanging around. He forgave those who rejected him. Can you follow him? Can you be his disciple? Can you be like him? When you get rejected, be willing to forgive. Be like him. Can you still love that other person instead of rebel against them? like Jesus and forgive the people who have rejected you? In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches you to love those who have rejected you by offering them forgiveness. When you have been rejected and hurt, it's easy to want to rebel and turn aside from those who have rejected you. However, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be rejected. He was turned away from the very people that called themselves his chosen people. Jesus could have easily turned away and rebelled from God's call to the cross, but he chose to lay down his life for you. Forgiveness is not easy. But with the Spirit's help, you can't extend it. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 20 for today's edition of Come Alive. We need to be able to come to a place where we come to a maturity where we realize that all that we have is God's. It all comes from God. And hopefully you have. You can say mine or mine with the understanding of who it belongs to ultimately. But we are in, in charge of our families just to manage them. We're responsible. Just like a manager of a store. He's responsible for the inventory in it. He can claim that it's his store, but is it really his if he doesn't own it? Not at all. It belongs to the owner. So have you come to that place where when you lose that position, that house, that car, and not by your own hands, but for some reason it's removed from you, hopefully you understand it wasn't really yours to keep. Maybe God's saying, hey, you know what? I'm closing one door and I'm opening another. Though you've lost this, I've got something way better for you over here. But yet sometimes we miss the way better because we're out there throwing that temper tantrum, kicking around like little kids on the floor, screaming and yelling, it's mine, it's mine, and it's really not. See, some see the things of God as their own personal property. They'll say, and one of the craziest videos I've been watching over the week is a pastor from Oklahoma, and he steps down, and there's a guy falling asleep in the second row, and he notices him, and, and, and if you watch it on YouTube, he notices him, and he steps right off the stage, and he goes, hey, man, I got something to say. I'm important, I, you know, and he says stuff like, I'm God's anointed, and goes over there, and he says, come on, man, stay with me. You know I love you, right? You know I love you, and I'm like, okay, not so bad, and then he starts to walk, and he looks, and he sees this other guy, and he goes, man, and you, you're the most worthless church member I have. And calls this guy out on a Sunday, sir. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Walks right over and he goes, and you want me to marry you? And you want to marry him? You want me to marry you to him? And starts freaking out on these people. And then he goes over and he stands up and he starts yelling at the camera. I mean, he just goes on a tirade. And you're just like, man, that poor church. And the news, there's, there's other clips where the news have interviewed people and they say the guy that he called out, and he actually hugged the guy. He said it wasn't, that was useless. It wasn't worth 15 cents is what he said. 
And he hugs that guy, and that guy hugged him back. And I think the only reason that other dude hugged him back was just because it was an awkward moment. And you're like, okay, I can hug you or I can knock your head off. And so, you know, and then you see some of the comments, and the people are like, oh, yeah, people need to stand up. And it's like, oh, no, you don't call that guy out publicly like that. And you're the most useless member I have. That was the thing that I keyed in on. Like, he's not your member. He's not, he doesn't belong to you. I remember I chimed in on a little comment that some friends of mine were we were talking about in a text message, and I said, "Man, it, it doesn't that those people don't they're in his flock, but they're God's people, and that man didn't treat them as such." So we have to think, and we have to come to that place where we lose that position of "This is mine; it belongs to me," to where we understand that it's really God's, and we're just there to manage it. See, again, some will see the things of God as their own personal property. They're going to say. I'm your shepherd, and you're my sheep, and I'll never leave you. And they're going to make a covenant. And it's like, no, no, no. That, that's not a good thing to do. I, every day, every week, have to really pray through that. This is not my church. Lord, this is not my church and the decisions I make. And it, sometimes people ask me questions, like big questions. Like, I've got to make that decision standing there right now. And I'm like, I just look at them. I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, what do you think? I don't know yet. I got to pray about it. Well, bro, we need to make a decision right now. Well, no, we really don't. Well, it's going to be too late. Then we're not supposed to do it or have it or whatever. And it's not my church. It's not really ultimately my decision. It's God's decision. And so people are not my people. That's why we don't have a membership. People often ask, why don't you have a membership? Well, because membership implies dues and obligations as well as I don't have time to be checking up on the membership list. Who's showing up? Who's not? I don't want to call somebody the most used. I don't, it's not up to me. It's up to God. We, we belong to a bigger body. There's not a membership there. But if it's all about membership, then I, I don't want anything to do with it. It's just more work for me. I got to keep a roll of, okay, this member hasn't been here in six months. We got to call him and get him a, hey, dude, remember you're a member? And, you know, we're going to cancel your membership. I mean, who cares? So that's, that's why and when it comes to pay bills or purchase something, I'm like, hey, God, what do you think about this? Or, hey, God, guess what? The electric bill at your church, well, it ran for this long, and we owe this much. So can you help take care of that? Because it belongs to you ultimately. Look at verse 9. It says, Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again, thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Meanwhile, well, let's stop at verse 10. So you might think, well, gosh, what's going on here? Well, Joab, he's a kind of a sneaky guy. You know, Joab thinks that these are his men, and this is his battle, and he deserves to have them back. And so he says, hey, Amasa, how you feeling? And then kills him. I mean, this is pretty sneaky stuff. He stabs him. Uh, like Joab's sword, the word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. Joab uses steel, but oftentimes we as Christians, well, we'll use God's sword. Some may try to critique in a loving, gentle way, and all of a sudden we, we throw, judge not lest you be judged, you know? And somebody's just trying to tell you, hey, man, I just thought it'd be better if you, you know, just clean that jelly stain off your shirt or something like that. And so it, the sword is to be used in battle. God's word is to be used in battle against the enemy, not brother against brother. And so we see this. Amasa and Joab were on the same side, but 
what's Joab do? He kills this guy. They're fighting for the same cause. And so once again, Joab takes matters into his own hands. And again, you see this as not an open sign of rebellion, but an open sign of rejecting what the king actually wanted. And so again, where we aim, we need to be careful to not let our sword just fall on anyone just to prove a point and cutting them down and using scripture and bringing hurt to a brother. Christians tend to use the Bible against one another. We need to be careful of that. We need to love one another. Look at verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. And so here, you, is this, it, this is a, a sales technique here. Well, first, Joab kills the called. We see that. Amasa was the one that was called. David calls Amasa. Joab kills the called. And now he tries to confuse the crowd. And when we see this here, it says, Amasa, you know, that meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. And then we see in verse 12, but Amasa wallowed in his own blood in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw, all the, the people stood still. They stopped. They took a look. But what happens here, this is a strategy of Satan. What's going on in verse 11? Because when a spiritual leader goes after another spiritual leader, it confuses the crowd. And so this is what's going on. How? Well, it's an old sales strategy, and we see it all the time. It's called by tying. It's tying. You tie names together. We see it in in the modern world on a commercial. You might see Nolan Ryan promoting a sausage or a hot dog, ballpark franks or whatever it is. Or you might see some sports figure, you know, being tied to a certain brand of car and they give him that car. He didn't pay for it. They gave it to him. And so you see him driving around town. You're like, hey, man, I like that guy. If he's cool enough to drive that car, I'm cool enough to drive an Aveo. And so you go after that little car or whatever. And, and so, again, it confuses the crowd. How? Well, again, by tying names together. For, and so, you know, it makes you think, well, if that guy's driving it, it's got to be a good company or a good car. And then you get one, and it's a lemon. And not that they sell all lemons, but... Sometimes that happens, or some guy with an air conditioning company. And like, well, if, if this sports figure or this famous person is using it or is going there, then it must be good, and you got to be careful. And so Joab kills the called and confuses the crowd. It's kind of like another way to put it would be when you go and, and you're buying a car, and the car salesman goes, well, if, you'd really, if, you really, if you really love your wife, you'll buy her that car. And you're like, really? Well, I love my wife. I love her enough to buy her a used car because I can't afford that car. So they're, they're tying things together that don't need to be tied together. Love and a new car. I love my wife, but if I can't afford the new car and they come and pick it up, then is my wife thinking that I really love her? Because now she's got to walk home from the mall where she parked the car and the repo guy followed her there. How much love is there? And then in verse 12, it talks about a masa wallowing in his own blood in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw that, they all stopped. We call that rubbernecking. You see a car accident on the side of the road on the way to a beach baptism. <laughs> I couldn't help it, Debbie. I'm sorry. But you see, you see people stop, and they're looking. And some people stop, and they look, and they stare, and they're like, and they slow down, and other accidents can happen and be caused because of it. And so you're like, man, I want to see the car accident. So you start to slow down. You start to gawk instead of seeing it and going, man, I'm going to pray. People are like, oh, I wonder what's going on. We're curious. And this happens in church as well. Someone will be rejected. Someone will be hurt. And people just, you know, stand there and they just kind of gawk and wonder and not really do anything. 
Some people will rise up when that person's rejected to cut the other person down. The crowd will be a little confused and like, oh, well, you know, that person really deserved that. It's because they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And the, other, and the crowd's like, man, I'm kind of confused. Uh, I thought we were supposed to be on the same side, but here we are cutting this other guy down. And so the next thing it does is it slows the spirit because everyone's just looking on and you hear so-and-so said and so-and-so, and I know that, and, and you hear all this stuff. So someone needs to rise up and say, hey, can we just move on? God just wants us to, to do a work here. There's a battle to fight, and let's keep moving forward. And so what, this, what happens here, it says in he, this guy over here in verse 12, it says, and when all the men saw all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. Look at verse 13, it says, when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. So here's this thing that happens. Everybody slows down to stop and look at it, and they remove it. Now everybody's moving forward again. They're, they're doing what they need to do. In verse 14, and he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, to Beth, Makkah, and to all the Berites. So they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. Then they came and they besieged him in Abel of Beth Makkah, and they cast up a siege mount against the city, and it stood by rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. And then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. And then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. And I'm among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, Watch, his head will be thrown over to you, thrown over the wall. And so Sheba, his desire was to do what? His desire was to get ahead, but what happened, he actually winds up losing his head. He, he wanted to be in charge of something so bad, he rebelled, but what happens is, is he gets his head chopped off. The Bible tells us that those who are prideful in spirit will be humbled. Those who are humbled will be exalted. So when someone rises up in a, in a rebellion, it's really only a matter of time before, well, that person's going to be humbled if it's done out of pride. Sheba was one of those who went to make war with David. Now David's at his door. David's at the door. His men are at the door. Sheba not only loses his head, but he lost his head. He lost his headship. He lost his leadership. And so when you rise up and rebel against any form of rejection, it's going to only make it more difficult for you. So this lady, and this, I love this lady here, through confrontation brings explanation. See, sometimes I think we as Christians are so afraid when something's happening that we don't want to confront the situation because we're like, oh, no, it's not my place. I'm just a love. Well, this was done in love. Why? She loved the people in her town so much. She was like, hey, why are you guys knocking the wall down? Somebody's going to get hurt on the other side, especially when you have an army stormtrooping in, not asking any questions. All they had to do is probably go to, go to somebody and say, hey, this is who we're looking for. But no, they didn't do that. They were so excited and so 
ready to go for it. They're trying to knock down this wall. And so this lady confronts him. And then the confrontation brings explanation. Notice it says a wise woman, a wise woman. She stops and confronts him, not in a harsh manner or in a rude way, but in a gentle way. Hey, can you bring Joab here? I'd like to speak with him. How often do we do things in a harsh manner? Because, well, it's just the way we do things. Something's going on and we don't like it. And we go out there in a harsh manner and start screaming and yelling. Car accidents, sometimes you see that. The other day I saw somebody accidentally just barely bumped this guy and he got out and he started throwing his arms up and he was slapping the guy's hood. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. It was a little bump. There couldn't have been any damage. And he's yelling and the other guy gets out of the car and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You could see that he was saying he was sorry. I'm sorry. And the guy's calling him names and throwing his fist. And I remember thinking like, I bet he's late to work. I bet he wishes he didn't hit that snooze button one extra time this morning. You know, I was like, but it's probably more his fault than anything. I mean, this guy was driving real fast, slams on his brake, comes to a stop, and this other car just, boom. I mean, nothing was wrong. They both looked, they got in their car, and they drove away. But all that, all that anger, all that craziness. I mean, what if the other guy was a hothead, pulls out a gun and shot him when he felt threatened? I was like, man, that wouldn't be worth losing your life over. So she deals gently, gently. And why ruin the other people that are around if you, if you got hurt or burnt, you know, by screaming and yelling and, and saying, you know what, hey. And, and Joab says, hey, I'm not here to destroy the whole city. So she basically says, well, you're going to destroy the whole city if you or we don't deal with the real issue here. You're going to tear up the whole city if we don't just get down to the bare bones minimum of what is going on. And so what is going on? Well, they're looking for Sheba. She goes, oh, we'll bring him. We'll bring his head out to you. Joab, I, you know, I, I'm wondering, and we'll read later, but it's like, man, that's crazy. This woman's going to go in there, and she's probably got her own little army. Chop his head off. We've got to give it to that dude out there. We're trying to save our lives. So the Bible tells us the root of bitterness will defile many. So why ruin the other people if you got hurt or you got burned? You see this in, in divorce situations all the time or an ex-husband or an ex-wife will ruin the kids and they sit there and talk bad about one to the other. And it's like, man, don't do that. Don't ruin those kids. Don't make them hate. And so they try to, or maybe somebody tries to get you to hate that person, that other person. They're going to run around trying to get people on their side. So instead of just rolling with rejection, uh, they rebel against the rejection and they risk others. And the rebel loses their head figuratively over this thing. They might lose a position. So your rejection actually might be your salvation. It might be your salvation. Maybe the Lord's saying, hey, I don't want you in this place anymore because it's dangerous. And you see that with the people that were, I forget what company it was. I think it was IBM or something. All these people lost their jobs and all of a sudden, well, IBM kind of just kind of went down the tubes a little bit. They didn't have that high position and wound up, you know, losing a lot anyway. And so these people with these high positions wound up going to other places. Uh, Sometimes it might be in a relationship. You might think that this young lady or this young man might be the one, and all of a sudden you realize that, no, 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 it's not. But you can't see that. But the Lord says, it's not. And, and, and there's a rift that happens, and you guys break apart. And then all of a sudden you find Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright, and you're happy forever. I mean, I, how many times have I told you the story when I was in high school? I thought my, my senior high girlfriend was it. That was it. And then it's like, no, thank Lord, thank God. What I see on Facebook today, I was like, man, man, praise the Lord, I don't have to deal with that. 
And so sometimes your rejection could be your salvation. And for her, the same thing. You know, she's got a husband and she's probably thinking the same thing when she sees me on Facebook. Thank God I didn't marry that guy. And so it was, it was all worked out. One door closes, another door opens, but God's best is always for you. And so sometimes we don't know that. We don't understand it. And so all of a sudden, that next person that comes along is actually a godsend. People always freak out when they come to me and they say, man, I got rejected. I just lost my job. I just broke up with so-and-so. I didn't get that promotion. And my first words out of my mouth are like, praise the Lord. And they just look at me and they're like, what? Like, yeah, praise the Lord. God's obviously got something better for you. Well, yeah, I know that, but I was really counting on. No, then that's not obvious to you. It wasn't obvious to you if, if you still want it and you're bummed out about it. Well, I've got this competitive spirit. I've always got to win. So you're willing to win the worst just so you can win? doesn't make sense. Let's take a look at the ultimate rejection. Jesus Christ came to earth, the Savior of the world, yet he was rejected by religion, by the very people that called themselves God's chosen people, by us when we don't want to give him the chair. And today many rebel against him because they feel that life's all about them. And so they perceive that they should have certain things and live a certain way, but the very thing that they reject is is waiting to redeem them right there and saying, man, Jesus is saying, I can give you a, a way better life without all that stuff, making you worship it, making you look at it, making you have to maintain it. The very people that called themselves God's chosen people hung him on a cross. But the very thing that they reject is waiting to redeem them. So Jesus could have easily rejected the cross and turned, rejected us, and said, hey, you know what? That's cool. You don't want me? I'm not going to hang around. But he's always hanging around. He forgave those who rejected him. Can you follow him? Can you be his disciple? Can you be like him when you get rejected and be willing to forgive? Be like him Can you still love that other person instead of rebel against them? Oh, yeah, they may have done some horrible things. I'm not asking you to hang out and play checkers with them or take them to ice cream, but what about just starting to pray for them and say, Lord, you know, I I really pray and ask that you would change them, that you would cause them to be more like you and cause me to be more like you and that you would change me in this situation because sometimes bitterness is a very real thing that we've got to deal with all the time. So what are you going to do when you're rejected? Are you going to rebel? you going to roll with it? Or are you going to kill the call? And that's what we do when we reject Jesus Christ. Maybe we just kill the call. He's called to save us. And he has. And he's there for us. And so we need to follow his example when we're rejected, when things don't go our way. The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. 
Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.